Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Small Doses, your favorite podcast. What's your favorite girl? <laughs> I don't know. Um, Shout out to everybody who has subscribed to the Amandaverse. We appreciate you coming through and bringing your thoughts and your love and your insights into our space. $5 a month, you get exclusive content. You get uh, you get content first. You get, uh, when I say exclusive content, let me just be clear on what that is. You're getting sketches, you're getting videos, and you're getting, in. You're, well, you're getting videos regardless because that's our favorite, but you're getting sketches, you're getting uh, reaction videos to some of your favorite shows and to also content that's going on out here. You're getting insights that I do not share on the Instagram. You're also getting behind the scenes videos and you're getting access to stuff that I share with my personal life that I do not share on these interwebs. So it really is a robust space and we are continuing to grow it. We've got a lot of dope stuff coming down the pike. We got a, 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 sorry, a series called Rebels and Radicals that I'm going to be talking about, you know, just folks throughout our time who have definitely been outside of the box and how we can continue to look and examine the work that they're doing to continue to think outside of the box in our own work. Uh, we also have uh, me breaking down the XXL freshman class. So for all of my hip hop heads, you know, it's a new day. And so I've got my thoughts on these new folks and I'm excited to share them with you. Also, if you did not make it to the Smart Friending in Black, uh, Black Outside Again weekend at the Kennedy Center where we did Smart Friending in Black Small Doses and some stand-up, then you can, you know, live vicariously through us because we are going to be uh, sharing with you all some behind the scenes from that weekend as well. So we got a lot of good stuff coming. A lot of good stuff coming as well as consistent just uh, thoughts and quips. And like, for instance, people were like, oh, Amanda, like, why haven't you talked about Will Smith's apology? Well, I did in the Amandaverse. See? Anywho. Uh, By the way, speaking of the Black Outside Again tour, if you haven't gotten your tickets, please do. I am coming to your city. What city is that? Go to manseals.com and find out if it's your city. Because <laughs> I definitely am very proud of the dates that we're doing. We just added Chicago. We added the Bay. And our tickets for Nashville are going on sale. So, or by the time this airs, they'll be on sale. So get your tickets. Okay? All right. I got all that out of the way. Make sure you subscribe and like and download. Download, download, download. That really helps us. That really helps us when you download the episode. And when you subscribe, it downloads it automatically. And I need all the help because I own a house. And this episode is our refill of side effects of buying a house. And it has been a year now. We celebrated our one-year anniversary in my home on August 1st. And it was a very, very, very big feat for me to buy a home. Because I genuinely didn't want to step into something that was going to overwhelm me beyond my means and beyond my time and beyond just like my mental stability. And there have been trying moments. There have been trying moments, but, you know, I wonder if I needed to do a whole episode of side effects of having a house, but at the end of the day, I will say that I have learned a lot since this point. Uh, I've learned a lot at this point that I wish I knew when I bought the house and that I wish 
I could have shared with you all when I did this episode the first time. And so now I would love to share some of those things with you. Now, I know in the first time I did this episode, I talked about inspections and I did talk about how, you know, you need to really try your best to be as robust as you can with making sure that the person who is inspecting your house is doing the utmost in their inspections. But I didn't really truly, truly know what that utmost part meant until living in this house for a year, because ultimately there are things that you don't even think need to be fixed, but that absolutely are going to make a difference because something working doesn't mean that it is up to snuff. For example, when I bought my house, the air conditioner was working, but there was something funny with the air conditioning upstairs. So they got it working and voila, that was no longer on the list of things that were a problem. Now, had I known what I know now, I would have made sure that the inspector or I would have brought in my own HVAC inspector to ensure how is this working? Because what actually was done was they like short wired it. Y'all, they like hot wired the air conditioner to make it work. And so I ended up having to put in extra money to get it fixed properly so that it would stop tripping the fuse box. But that's something that I wouldn't have known to even look for. Now, in this day and age, I would have been like, oh, we need to make sure that we get an HVAC in here, an HVAC guy in here to inspect this, this whole setup and make sure that it is at the very least, working in a way that it needs to, and at the very worst, that these people are planning on paying for what needs to get done for it to work the way it needs to, or at least for us to negotiate, right? So there's that. Now, something I think you also need to understand is that your realtor is on your side, but at the end of the day, they want to sell the goddamn house. Okay. So when we are using our realtors, inspectors, et cetera, et cetera, I think some of us are just like, yeah, it's so convenient because they have their own people, et cetera. But remember, they are trying to sell the house. So it doesn't behoove them to have an inspector who's going to be super duper picky either. Because ultimately, they want to get you in that house and then you can deal with whatever you need to deal with after. Now, I know that that may sound like I'm being shady. I'm not trying to be shady, but what I am trying to do is be clear about the truth and the fact that it's a relationship between your realtor and the people that are selling this realtor, and you are in the middle just trying to make sure that you don't get a lemon. Now, of course, they're not going to do anything like crazy, like um, negligent, because they don't want a bad reputation. And also, like they don't want to get sued. But I say all that to say, though, that it really is on you as the consumer to be the one who is making sure that everything is where it needs to be. Now, when it comes to termites, you need to get a termite inspection when you buy the house. But what you don't realize is that, again, termite people, they want business. So you need to also know what to look for to make sure they're not just trying to scam you. Now, I had called the termite place again because I was like, oh, you know, it's been a year, so I need to get a termite inspection. She was like, who told you that? And I was like, well, I just thought that's what you're supposed to do. And she was like, whoever told you that is just trying to run you. This is literally the termite inspection lady. And she was like, they're trying to run you. You do not need a termite inspection every year. You need to know what to look for so that you can make sure to get on top of it when it happens. And you should be making sure to look for those things throughout the year. Some of those things are brown sand piles. Those are dry wood termites. She said, if you see any brown sand piles anywhere, those are dry wood termites. You need to get someone out there. Muddy tubes. She said these happen oftentimes in closets and crawl spaces. If you see any kind of muddy tubes, that's those termites making a play to make it their way. She also said about flying termites, looking at the eaves of your house and the paint on the outside. She said during August to November, that's when the flying termites be all about in their business. 
She gave me all of those tips so I could give you all those tips so that you can make sure that you're looking out for these things when you go to look at a house. Yeah, the termite inspector is looking out too, but they're like, okay, when they show you like, see this, this, now you can have some knowledge to be like, is that what you're actually showing me or are you just pulling my fucking leg? (laughs) Right? Because that's the other part. Oftentimes, even if the termite inspector comes up with like, okay, these are the issues, the seller could be like, yeah, well, I'm not paying for it. So it's still going to fall on your lap. And if you really want that fucking house, then that is a charge you're going to incur. Mm-hmm. Now, all of these things, again, worst case scenarios, but you want to know all the case scenarios. Like I would have loved to have known what I should be looking for when it comes to mold. Not because I had mold, but I didn't even know what I'm supposed to be looking for. And when you have someone come and inspect the mold, what are the methods that they are using to inspect the mold? You need to ask. You need to find out. Are they simply just using an infrared camera? Hmm? Are they doing a mold air test in the house? Are they then, are they also, sorry, using cameras within the walls? Are they feeling out moisture, et cetera? You don't want anybody to be able to just fly by night you and say, yeah, this is fine. And you have to go along with it because you don't know no better. Now, I will tell you this. There's a certain level of this that is unavoidable. Everyone told me that you got to live in a house for like at least a year before you really know the inner workings of the house. And in my mind, I'm like, well, I'm pretty, I feel like I'm pretty fast in the uptick most more than most. So it's not going to take me a year. Mm, in this case, yeah, they were right. I just learned my sprinkler system the other day. What I would love to also impart to you guys is any op, any like, offers that your utility companies give you in terms of instruction or assistance, take it. These bills are very difficult to read. One conversation with somebody who's literally been assigned to walk you through and show you what each part of the bill means can make such a difference, just even in your peace of mind, in how you are understanding where your money is going, right? And all these different utility companies have different ways that they're charging you and different ways that they're getting in you. And you just want to know that they're not pulling one over your eyes. Like we had a crazy water bill for a long time and we just couldn't figure out why. Like it's like we're not even using that much water. Come to find out we were using way more water than we thought we were because we had like broken sprinklers and because we had shit on a timer that we didn't know. And it took me finally just saying, you know what? They have this thing called the the water survey and this guy will come out and literally show us how our water system works and he will break it down for us. And I was like, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. So guess what? He came out and it was one of the best choices I've ever made. He broke down for us exactly how our water systems works. He showed us the zones. He showed us that, We can change it with our phone. He gave us a a better insight and understanding into like the drought levels and the plants that we can plant that will help with drought, et cetera. Like this took all of 30 minutes, y'all, all of 30 minutes, but it's going to help us in the long run with money management and also with property management. You know, one of the things that I also just truly didn't really understand is insurance, right? You have to get insurance 
because they make you. But the usage of insurance is definitely its own dance. Now, sometimes you are sold this idea that, well, I have insurance, so if anything happens, I don't got to pay for it. Well, baby, that's just not the case. Because the truth is that if something happens in the house and it's not as, and it's less than your deductible, you are paying for it. Okay. But let's say it's just like a little more than your deductible. You're like, damn, I should do it. Right. I don't know. Because once something happens in the house and you file a claim, that claim is on your insurance record and it makes it so that your premium goes up next year. So even if your deductible was like 10,000 and this issue was 15,000 and they covered that 5,000, guess what, baby? They're going to get that 5,000 back from you next year. Yes, they are. They're going to raise your premium up and you will be paying that 5,000 back to them. So you still didn't really get saved unless it was like you needed it to happen and you didn't have that money in this moment right here. In that case, you got to do what you got to do. You got to do what you got to do. I'm just trying to give you all the game that I'm learning because I know that so much of this is just a matter of just not knowing and trying to like wage your way through the ignorance <laughs> to get to the understanding. So there's also home warranty. Now, some people are very, very, very against this home warranty thing, and I don't blame them because it has all these caveats, right? It's like, oh, well, it only works for this. It only works for that. Oh, we don't do this type of air conditioning system. We don't do this. We will fix this, but we'll only fix it under this circumstance, et cetera. You end up finding all these things out in real time, for real. But the truth is that sometimes it actually is very, very helpful. So for us, we had a roof leak. We could not figure out this roof leak. And it was going on for like five months. One time I literally was getting my hair braided and it was halfway done. And I had like went outside to like get something. And as I was walking past the room, I just saw water flooding into the guest room. And me and my braider had to put on ponchos and go to Home Depot and get a tarp. Shout out to my braider, Angie Styles because <laughs> she, was, she didn't even bat an eye. She was like, let's go. We out. And that was the first time she was ever doing my hair. Nonetheless, we finally were able to get to the bottom of the roof leak and it needed to get fixed. And we were able to get it fixed at no cost to us because of the home warranty. Thank you. Something actually worked. <laughs> and that was also very helpful. Like we had a dishwasher issue. The dishwasher got fixed. We had a heat issue though, and the heat issue didn't get fixed because the water heater was missing a part. And they said, we can't fix it if it's missing a part. You see what I'm saying? So you learn that there's all these different things. By the way, the dishwasher was missing a part, but they could fix that if it's missing a part. You got to learn all of this. When I was in school, so many people I knew were just like leaning on their advisors all the time because they were like, oh yeah, like my advisor is going to tell me this. My, but I was like, fuck that. I'm not trusting no advisor to get me through this college thing. So I made sure that I learned that admissions book backwards and forwards. I could have been an advisor. I damn near was because people were always asking me because I always knew exactly what needed to get done. 
That's how you got to be about your house. And it can be very overwhelming. And it definitely takes a lot of effort. Like we just realized we need to have a house calendar that we share that gives us updates and reminders on the different tasks that me and Devon need to do. Because that is what it takes. Unless you got money for a house manager, okay? Unless you live in Downton Abbey, that's what it's going to take. Because there's also stuff that like you don't necessarily do on a regular basis, but that you still need to remember to do on a, like, like it may not be like a day-to-day or a week-to-week, but it may be a consistent thing that you need to check into that, you know, you just kind of get caught in life and you just lose track and you forget. And then, oh shit, wait, do we do the... Devon didn't change the air conditioning filters. Guess what? Backed up the air conditioner, a giant block of ice formed in between the wall. And what did I get? A leak in my closet. It's hard. It's hard to remember all of these things. It definitely is. You know, you people then tell you all the time, like you can refinance. You know, maybe your mortgage is high, but you can refinance and then you'll be okay. But one thing you got to learn about the refinance is that the refinance baby is going to be just as difficult in terms of the amount of paperwork you got to show and demonstrate as your original loan. And if you're not ready to go through that whole process again, just just ease it. But if you need to go through that whole process again, understand now that the same ducks you had to have in the row for that first part, that first time that you got that loan, those are the ducks that you need to have in a row now. And I'm hoping that while you were getting all that shit together the first time, you kept it together. You organized it so that if you ever needed to dip back in to get those forms, to get those files, you had them because it's so much faster and easier because they're going to ask for so much of those same things. And you just got to be able to show them. And you just need to, I'm just always trying to tell you ways that you can just like ease your mind, ease your load. Because the whole thing is we want to enjoy this house that we live in. We've been tricked into thinking that we need to have it. (laughs) So you might as well try to enjoy it. But the truth is owning a house is like having another job that you're paying for. So you better find ways to make it worth your while and also to understand the importance of what that property can do for you as a piece of collateral, as a source of credit, and as a part of your legacy. So many of us in this country as Black folks never got the opportunity to have to build generational wealth. And so much of that comes from simply just owning property, owning land. So don't take it lightly. It's a beautiful thing. So please enjoy this episode, Small Doses, Side Effects of Buying a House. I have lived here now for a year. And I will also say that I have been very fortunate to have the support of my neighbors, to have the support of my realtor and the support of my original loan officer in continuing to figure out how this all works. I will also remind you, halfway through your mortgage, your first year, they're going to do, your lender is going to do a reassessment of how much of your mortgage fund is used is utilized for taxes because they set aside a surplus of money that they use for the incumbent property taxes and just the random shit that pops up when they do that reassessment if there is a surplus of money that's your money they don't just keep it they send it back to you so just be mindful to check in on that Because, baby, when that shit pop up, you be like, I didn't even know about this. I forgot about this. But I remember it now. 
And I really, really just can't stress enough. Talk to everybody you can who owns a house about your house. People have so many experiences and ideas and suggestions that you may never have had an inkling about that could save you money, that could save you time, and that can save you energy. So don't be ashamed of that. Don't feel like, oh, I got to know everything. Fuck that. You may not know enough. You will never know enough because there will always be someone else who's like, oh, well, we heard about and now you know. So enjoy this episode. And for those of you all who are looking for a crib and are purchasing, congratulations. I'm wishing you the best. For those of you who are in your crib, listen, love it, live it, and don't let anybody take you for a ride. Well, hello there. Welcome to another episode of Small Doses. Uh, um, you know, it's been it's been an interesting six weeks. Uh, I turned forty. I was in Belize. Uh, there's a Delta variant. Um, I got kicked out of a group chat. Um, I moved into a new house. It's a lot going on. And um, of all of those things, though, the thing that was the newest for me was not not the Delta variant. <laughs> no, was the process of buying a house. And before I even get into that, let me just remind you all that I will be in Houston at the Houston Improv on Labor Day weekend. I believe that is September 4th, 5th, and 6th, I believe, perhaps. Uh, so you can catch me telling jokes. It is my first time headlining since the pandemic began. So this is going to be a treat. We are definitely going to be talking. I haven't talked to an audience in a long ass time. So I'm excited for that. So if you want to get your tickets, you can go to my Instagram. It's in my link tree on my Instagram page. Um, or you can just Google Amanda Seals Houston Improv, but you can make sure to get your tickets for that because it's going to be a good time. Also, we have got Smart, Funny, and Black at the Wilbur Theater going down in October, October 16th at the Wilbur Theater in Boston, Massachusetts. Of course, this is of considering that, you know, the whole nation doesn't get shut down again uh, based on the fact that motherfuckers don't want to wear masks. And white people apparently don't want to bathe. Like, particularly rich white people are not bathing? That's another, another show, show for another day. But let's get back to what we were talking about, which is buying a house. So today's episode is side effects of buying a house. And I, of course, always have to preface with the fact that this is my personal experience. So nothing I'm saying here is necessarily like the God spell. It's not the bottom line. But it is something that I've experienced. And thus, if someone has experienced it, then it could be a possibility for you. Uh, one thing I want to also say is that it is different buying a house as a self-employed person versus someone who has a steady job that has a W-2 and is being given a paycheck every month. It's different. And it's different mainly because you have to prove to these loan people that your money is going to keep coming. And when you don't work for a company that gives you a check every month, they don't feel as secure. So a lot of the stuff that I'm saying is going to be particularly related to people who are self-employed because it creates a whole other hurdle of obstacles for you in the process of buying a house, okay? okay. I specifically want to say buying a house because you can buy a home. 
Like you can buy a condo, you can buy a tiny home, you can buy a tent. Buying a house is its own set of bullshit (laughs) and its own experience. So that is why this episode is specifically titled Side Effects of Buying a House. But I got to tell you, you know, I'm sure there were podcasts that I could have listened to to help me in this process. But ultimately, um, I was kind of just flying by the seat of my pants and just crossing my fingers for a lot of the way and trusting in not only people I know, but people I don't know. And that was another big part of this process is having to really kind of like lean on all of these people that you're going to meet in this process, none of which you probably know. You know, you got your realtor, you got your loan officer, you got your escrow officer, you got your insurance agent. Um, And then, you know, you have another tier of folks, right? Because then there's like the listing agent who's speaking for the seller. Then you have all the different people that come through for inspections, you know? So for someone like me who just, I, I am introverted in terms of like, I don't necessarily like talking to people. It really was a fish out of water experience and having to talk to like individual people. That's what I mean. Talking to individual people. Like it's not really (sighs) something I like to, like even when I do interviews, it's like, I got to like, it's like baby Yoda after I like, I'm like, I have to take a nap. I have to take a nap. So it was a lot. And like, you know, at this point when you got to make more than one phone call a day, you're just like, I'm, what do you want from me? So This was an interesting journey, and that's why we're doing an entire episode. So I'm going to just tell y'all now, this is not going to be a two-parter, but this is a two-player. There's going to be so much information that I'm talking about in this episode, and y'all know I already talked fast, so it's going to be... So you're going to have to listen to it twice to catch everything. So I'm just telling you now so that you're ready. Let's get into it. Jam dropping. Jam dropping. Jam dropping. We're dropping on these hoes. So this episode's jam dropping is renting a house versus buying a house. Now, some people might feel like, Amanda, that's so self-explanatory. Like, why are you even wasting our time? It is not for a lot of people. And I'm going to break down why. So I lived in my apartment when I moved to LA. I lived in my apartment for three years. I had made a pact with myself. I was going to live in my apartment for three years. And then I said, you know what? I'm going to rent a house. Um, the market in LA in general is just OD. Like everywhere else, I think maybe excluding New York is pretty much, I would say, folks tell me it's somewhat reasonable. Whereas in LA and San Francisco, I mean, it's just like, what, why does it cost so much to live in a dwelling? So I was very fortunate that I had saved up and um, thought, you know what, it's time to move to a house. And I grew up in a house. And so just personally, just as a structure, like that's where I prefer to live. Some people love apartments, you know, some people love a small, intimate, quaint space. Some people love like the amenities that some apartment buildings have where it's like, you know, you have a gym, you have a coffee shop, you have a common room, et cetera. Like I have a friend who lives in Playa Vista and Playa Vista is basically like a big apartment community. I mean, they do have some homes, but they're basically like townhouses. But Within their community, they have like all of these amenities in terms of not just like the things I listed, but like restaurants, Whole Foods, CVS, you know, so they basically never have to leave where they're at. And Playa Vista is also where like YouTube is housed and Facebook. So you can put that together. So I was like, you know what? I'm ready to move and I want to rent a house and renting a house 
is kind of dissimilar than buying a house in the sense that like not all realtors are willing to help you find a house to rent because they're not going to get a commission in the way that they would if they sell you a house. I was fortunate because a friend of mine had a friend who's a realtor. And so he referred me and he was willing to help me out. And, you know, I told him, you know, I will come to you when I buy my house. Cause I was like, I'm buying a house in three years. I told him that I stuck to that. And that was my plan. So we set out looking for a rental. Now, when you're looking for a rental, you can look for them on the same platforms that you can look for buying a house. The difference is, of course, that you're going to be renting. And, you know, you need to be very specific because when you're renting, it's different than you're buying because when you're buying a home, you're responsible for everything. Okay. When you buy a home, Anything that comes along with that house, you're responsible for. When you're renting a home, the landlord is responsible for certain things. So you have to make sure that you know what are the things that he's responsible for, he or she or they, because you don't know if they have a pool person. Do they have a gardener? Like, do they have plumbers that they use, et cetera? Some rental properties don't come with any of that shit. Some rental properties, they're like, here's your, you know, you're going to pay your rent and you're also like taking care of the property. But some rental properties, which is the ones that you should be utilizing, are the ones that have a property manager or they have the landlord that you can call directly and say, hey, this isn't working or hey, can you get this fixed, Um, you know, et cetera. Like, I had a homeboy, notice I said had, I had a homeboy who had a rental property and he was like, you know, my, my tenants are always asking me to fix shit, but it's like, no, y'all got to fix it yourself. And I'm like, that's actually not okay. Uh, like plumbing and hard, you know, like hardware shit like that. Like, yeah, they, that's on you. You know, if their blinds break, that's on them. Now in owning a house, you are also looking at so many other elements other than just like being the homeowner of this house. You're looking at if you have kids, what is the school district? You know, there's a certain level of permanence that is there that you have to really be conscious of as well as like things like county taxes, property taxes, city taxes. You know, when you're renting you can have your address other places. It's a lot harder to do that when you have a solid residence. Nonetheless, the thing about renting that I did like was that it basically gave me a crash course in what it takes to own a home. And I think that's partially because I just had really good landlords. You know, and my landlord would basically be really good about the upkeep of the house. Like, I didn't know that you have to get a dryer vent cleaned out. My mom had a dryer. I don't remember nobody ever coming to clean no dryer vent, okay? Like, these are things that I just didn't know. Like, you always hear about, like, cleaning the gutters and things like that, but you don't know about, like, that you have to repaint the house every year because you have to fight termites. It's not just because it's aesthetics. It's because termites can find their way into your home, into little in little fissures and little cracks. And if your house isn't painted, then it creates less of a sealant and it makes it easier for them to make their way into the outside of your home. What? So these are the things that you start learning about. Also, you start learning about like what is the expectation of people who may have to come and do service on your home like on a regular basis, right? So like I didn't know there was a difference between a gardener and a landscaper. I thought they both doing things with the plants. No. Apparently a landscaper is somebody who's like, you know, basically doing the layout and kind of upkeep in terms of the aesthetics of the growth. Uh, and the gardener is actually making sure that things grow. So, I mean, you can find folks that do both, but just know that in, like, in the house that I was renting, we only had a landscaper. So I had asked him to water some plants one day and he was like, no. That's, I don't, I don't water plants. I don't, that's not what I do. That's not what I do. So 
Now, in owning a home, the plus is that you can do whatever the fuck you want, right? When you own a home, you don't have to ask permission to do anything. When you're renting a home, you have to ask permission to do everything. I don't care how nice your landlord is, ask first. You know, there's that saying like, ask for forgiveness, not permission. The reason why I say don't do that is because that person has a security deposit from you and you're not planning on living there forever and you want your security deposit to come back to you. And so therefore, you need to be thinking ahead of the fact that, you know what, I want to make sure that we're in good standing because I'm not going to be here forever. I'm not going to be here forever. And um, and the reason why I'm saying you're not going to be there forever, because some people are like, well, I like renting. When you're renting somebody's property, you're paying their mortgage. You might be okay with that. You might be okay with that. So let me not even put that on your heart. You might be okay with that. But I know for me, like, it just started to bother me that I was paying this white man's mortgage. <laughs> like, and I just wanted to essentially also be able to do whatever I wanted to my home. Because I know people that, like, have rented places and like knocked out the wall and shit, never asked. And so now there was a bit, it was a load bearing wall and the, the ceiling is caving. Listen, people are wild. When it's your own home, you can do whatever the fuck you want. When it's a rental, you cannot. And if you're in California and you have animals, every time you add an animal to a rental space, you have to pay for it. And that's not even just a renting a house. That's also renting an apartment. You have to pay for it. So you'll have to pay like a deposit for each pet. And it depends. Some places the deposit can be as high as like $1,500. So, you know, these are all the things that you have to keep in mind. But ultimately, I think what it does allow you to do when you rent a home is to find out if this is even the type of neighborhood you would want to live permanently in if you decide to buy. And if you are somebody that is more like freewheeling and you don't want to have roots planted, it allows you the opportunity to live somewhere comfortably but not be chained to it. And a lot of folks, really, particularly in this pandemic, appreciate that, right? I didn't want to live in an apartment anymore. I was done with everyone being on top of me. But I wasn't ready to buy a house. I knew that in my heart. I knew it was too much. And so I didn't put that on me. But in buying a house, what I did do was I took my time and I said to myself, you know, I want to buy somewhere that feels like an upgrade and I want to buy somewhere that feels more private. And I made a whole list of the things that mattered to me most. And over time in the process, listen, it's like dating. You start with a whole list and that shit be dwindling, dwindling, dwindling by nature of just what's available, by nature of where the market is, and by nature of you realizing that maybe I was wild and okay, I didn't need all of that. But nonetheless, the process is a process. And when it comes down to it, if you have the opportunity to be patient, then you give yourself the option to get somewhere that you really like. So many of us don't have that opportunity. So many of us don't have that privilege of patience in in finding a place to stay. So if you find yourself in that situation, use it. If you find yourself in the luxury of having time, use it. Because it can feel like, oh my God, if I don't find the right place right now, like, oh my God, like, uh, what am I going to do? And it's like, the right, it, it will come to you. It will come to you. And mine came to me. Y'all came through like gangbusters with these DMT questions. Let me tell y'all. I, I and, and actually, let me tell y'all, I'm not an expert. I'm not an expert. I'm not an expert. So I want to make that abundantly clear because I feel like it's just 
just a good little reminder to keep in, in, in place that I am not an expert. I'm just speaking from my experience. Okay. So first question. So like, what's the best course of action for celebs? Do you consult with a financial person first? I know your homes are in the millions. Do you guys have special lending like how doctors have? Do you use a lender or put a large down payment or just buy cash flat out? Because some of these questions are a little personal. Um, if it, Okay, so first of all, this whole idea of celebs, I never, I, I never consider myself a celeb. So if there are special services for celebs, I absolutely did not even seek them out. And I don't know about them because I, I don't consider myself a celeb. Nonetheless, uh, no, I did not use like a special service. I went to the lender that was referred by my realtor. And um, I will say that as an entertainer, it's important to work with a lender that understands that you're an entertainer. Uh, and understands that you're, or that you're an artist, understands that you're in a field where your money, like I said in the beginning of the episode, where your money is coming in fluctuations, even if it's steady, it's not coming from the same source. And the reason why that's ultimately important that your lender is able to understand that is because they're going to have to communicate that, uh, to the loan, to the bank. Now you can go straight to a bank and get your loan, or you can use a mortgage broker or a lender as I refer to them. And they're basically the go between, between you and the bank. Now, someone like me, like I don't have time to be like the one defending myself for the bank. I also don't have the expertise. So like a bank will tell you like, no, come directly to us. You know, we're going to give you a great interest rate, et cetera. But that means that like, I'm going to have to like be the one following up. I'm going to have to be the one like on top of things in a way that I just didn't have the bandwidth or the expertise to do. So I went with a mortgage broker. And when you go with a mortgage broker, you ideally want to go with a broker that's going to make sure that they're communicating with a bank that they have a relationship with. Sometimes that's not the case because that the size of the loan you're getting or, you know, the, the best interest rate may be at a bank where they're operating through a portal where they're not necessarily communicating with an individual. They're communicating through the computer. And then someone on the other side that they don't know, they don't know where they are, they don't know who they is, whatever, that person is responding or those people are responding. And so that can be its own level of frustration. But I want to say that when it comes down to it, like putting a down payment or getting a loan, et cetera, all of that is to me, to my understanding, like that's relative to the person. Some people just don't want to have to pay a note. The same, you know, like some people buy a car outright. Some people just buy their house outright if they have the guap. They just don't want to pay a note. But then there's a whole other philosophy that says, well, keep your money liquid. So by getting a loan, you are able to get the property, which is value that is now added to your equity, right? So now you're valued at not just how much liquid you have, but how much you own in property. So those two things are combined. Whereas the other way is that, yeah, you have liquid money, but you put so much of it into the house. So now you have less liquid money and you have this house. Am I, am I making sense? I think I am. So I'm going to keep going forward. But that question was interesting because, you know, I didn't know that doctors have special lending. So, you know, go doctors. Next question. Is the housing market looking to crash in the near future? Buy a house now or wait? Well, I am no Miss Cleo, so I can't see the future. I also don't know about like how financial stuff is working right now. 
What someone said to me was that if you can afford to buy a house right now, do it because the interest rate is so low that it's like free money. So my aunt told me that when she bought a house like 12 years ago, the interest rate was like 13%. And what that means is that the interest on your loan accrues at 13% over time. So every month, you have your loan, and if you have a 30-year fixed mortgage, it's broken up into 30 years, right, which is broken up into 12 months of a year, and every month, there's interest added, and that interest is coming out of your loan. So if you have a loan for, let's say, $500,000, and it's 13% interest, then it's going to be 13% of $500,000 is going to be added to your payments every month. So right now, the interest rate is as low as 2.8 in some cases. So you see what I'm saying? Like the loan itself is, has such a low interest rate that you are getting kind of like free money per se, because it's really like not expounding upon itself in the same way as it has in the past. Others might argue different. They might say, you know, this is not a good time to buy a house because of inflation, because properties are selling for so much higher than they used to. But when it boils down to it, to my understanding, again, I'm not an expert, but from what I understand, you know, the, your property value um, changes for a number of reasons, right? Like if your neighborhood all of a sudden becomes like very violent or if your neighborhood all of a sudden becomes very dangerous in terms of like fires or natural disasters, like that can change your property value, right? Like um, your property value can change because like you've done stuff to the house that makes it not as uh, appealing, right? And that can be aesthetically and that can be like in the actual foundation of the house. For instance, like there was a house close to me that didn't sell for as much as our house because all of the floors in the house had to be redone. And so that made it like not as valuable because whoever's moving in is going to have to do all of those floors and that cost is going to be a substantial cost. So, you know, um, but the other thing too is that if you buy in a neighborhood that has been somewhat consistent, even if the price of your house goes up, for most cases, like if that neighborhood if every house in the neighborhood's prices went up and you're able to see that, you can even see that on Zillow or Redfin or Realtor.com, like any of these places. If it's been a consistent rise, then, you know, you are pretty much like I've been told that you're pretty much safe from like it being everyone drops as well. It just means that the whole neighborhood, like, like Fat Joe said, the price went up. Price went up. You're... Next question. Were you afraid to take that step into home ownership? Did you have any apprehensions? I don't think I was afraid. I don't think I was afraid. I mean, it was kind of like I had made up my mind that I was going to do it. So it was just doing it. And that was really the thing. Like, I, I didn't even give myself time to be afraid. It was like, Okay, you said it was three years. Your lease is up in October, so let's get ready to rumble. Um, and so I just kind of like stepped forth. I think my, it wasn't really an apprehension, um, but more so just there was a certain level of anxiety I had around my ignorance. 
And you know, we talk a lot about confidence and how like confidence can help quell anxiety because confidence is the facts that you know. Well, if you don't know the facts, it was like, and it wasn't a thing where I could just like study up. I wasn't even that either. And I didn't even really have time to be able to do that because I was doing insecure. So I was shooting insecure. I was freezing my eggs. I'm trying to um, find a house. So it was a lot. And then I had went back to the realtor that I told you that I had gotten my rental from. And I kept my word and I, you know, started working with him. And um, I didn't have a frame of reference for like what makes a good realtor. I didn't. So I was just kind of going off of my feeling, you know, and I liked him. He was cool. I definitely was also very hands-on and that was kind of helping me with any levels of anxieties. I was very hands-on in terms of finding properties that I liked and I had very, you know, specific things that I wanted, but then I had other things that were a little bit more fluid. And what was kind of annoying was that he wasn't sending me like things that I wanted whenever he did send me. And he didn't send me many houses at all. And when he would send me, it was always kind of like, well, no. I mean, I said I need this many rooms and this has this many rooms. Um, And I would say like, no, I mean, I said I want to be in this part of town and this is in this part of town. So it was things like that. Now, what he was good at was he would tell me like the sweet and lowdown of a property. Like, yeah, this looks cool, but here's this, that, and the third. So for instance, like there was a crib uh, in kind of like the Malibu mountains kind of area. And I was obsessed with the physical house, the house itself. I was obsessed with, and I was obsessed with it because it was super unique and very bespoke. Um, and you could tell there was a lot of love put into it, you know, and it was just nestled on this like piece of land that had a lot going on. Like they had built like a chicken coop and there was a writer's shed and it was just its own like idyllic kind of masterpiece of space. Um, But then it was next to a Hindu temple and it was in front of a trailer park (laughs) and it was on a very busy road to Malibu, Las Virgenes. And so it was kind of like the house itself was fabulous, but the realtor was like, yeah, but the amount of upkeep of everything else, you have to keep that in mind. And then Devon, my partner, was like, I mean, okay, well, maybe what if we put up a fence, but then we build a ditch so that the coyotes, if they want to jump over the fence, they can't because there's a ditch. And it's like, once you start talking about ditches and fences, this isn't the house for y'all. So I wasn't afraid to take the step, um, but I definitely was like, having to swim gingerly due to my ignorance. Next question. Did you try to find and support black agents and attorneys? How did you deal with the stress of the constant moving finish line? So many delays and changes in the middle of the process. I wouldn't say that I like went out of my way to try to find uh, and support black agents and attorneys. I mean, my attorney is black. My agent was the person that I had been helped with before, and I was really just being loyal to my word. So that was the case with that. I think that it's always good to make an effort with that. My lender was a brother, and there was a moment during the mayhem that you're speaking of with the moving finish line. There was a moment there where I was just like, damn, I'm going to have to go somewhere else because, you know, I just don't know that he's going to be able to get this done. And then I just kind of ended up sticking with it. 
And I'm really glad that we were able to get it done. And he, at the end of it all, was just like, you know, this was kind of wild. And I feel like there were some extenuating circumstances that made your file be more difficult than it needed to be. And he was like, you know, I'll deal with that with my people. But ultimately, the moving finish line and the stress of it is just, you know, it's part of it, by the way, just feels kind of like, how dare you have stress about this? Because it's not medical. It's not like you're dealing with the justice system. Like, you're, it's a material, you know, thing. And, you know, like, if it doesn't happen, you'll find another one kind of thing. But I'm not going to lie to y'all. Like, I haven't had that much extended anxiety, like, consistent anxiety. I don't know the last time. I mean, it was just, like, two months of just every day, like, is this going to happen? 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 And they're also always asking you for new documents, like, every day, okay? So that's why when you decide that you're going to buy a house, first and foremost, you better make sure that you have three years of tax returns. Make sure that you have proof of your, either your lease or of your mortgage on the previous property. The lease also needs to be paid on time or your mortgage needs to be paid on time. You need to be able to show a year's worth of income. You need to be able to show a year's worth of, if you have like your own businesses, you need to be able to show a year's worth of P&L statements that, uh, and balance statements. And those documents, I mean, you're at a certain point, you're just like, What? Because you're kind of like, I didn't even know that document existed. So you're going to have to show all your bank statements. And this is if you're getting a loan. And they will ask you for things. And every time they ask you for it, it's like it has to be, it's like, we need it now. Stat. Every time. Every time. And at one point, Devon was just like, damn, you like a computer, yo, because like you just making it happen. Listen, we were leaving Belize and we were on a prop plane. And I had to like screenshot a bunch of stuff to send to the lender. And we were flying low enough to where I had service. And I was literally on that prop plane screenshotting and sending this stuff to the lender so he could get it in time. And at the end of the day, he was like, I knew that I had to like buckle down and make this happen for you because you did everything in your power to make it happen for you. He was like, everything I asked you to do, you did immediately. Everything I needed from you, like you found. Every person that I needed you to connect me to, you did so on the double. And that's true <laughs> like because it just from the beginning, I knew like, Amanda, you got to be locked in. But that up and down roller coaster, and then you're dealing with a seller who may not be as like understanding of the fact that the bank doesn't give a fuck about you and your time and your goals. And so you have so many things happening, y'all, that you can really lose it. I was very lucky to get to go to Belize in the middle of all that. I was very lucky. I mean, the way things timed out, I was somewhere calm and peaceful while all this mayhem was going on. If I had been here while all of that was going on, I don't know if I'd have handled it with um, as much aplomb. I'm not even sure if I used aplomb in the right sense right there. Next question. Do you have buyer's remorse? A little bit. A little bit. I don't know if remorse, remorse is a strong word. Well, I will tell you this. Two days into owning the house, I was here and it was the first time I had seen it empty because it was staged. And by staged, I mean that sometimes when they sell houses, they will actually like put furniture in the house um, to make it look as if, you know, someone lives there. So when you come back in the house and there's nothing there, it's the first time you're really seeing it like as bare bones. And 
I was on the the landing of the second floor and was on the phone with my mom and I just like collapsed to my knees and was like, what have I done? Because the grandeur of the home was just overwhelming in that moment. And I just knew that I had taken on something bigger than I had considered. Because as much as I love my home and it's a beautiful home, it's not turnkey. I mean, it would be turnkey if I didn't have like style and I didn't like care about conservation and shit like that, but I do. Uh, and so there were these things that needed to be changed in order to make the house more modern and more energy efficient. There were things that needed to be changed in order to make my house more modern and more dopeness efficient. Like it just was what it was. And my mom did some hardcore parenting. When I tell y'all she got me to give she was like, okay, let's talk about since you want to sit here and act like this place is like so just uh, just a travesty and everywhere else you lived, everything was perfect. Let's run it back. She's like, first of all, your apartment in Harlem. Yeah, you liked your apartment, but you also had to put your clothes in a cart and wheel them up a hill in the snow by a police precinct in order to wash them in a laundromat. Like, in order to walk to the train, you had to get harassed every day and dodge dice games. Like, in order to even leave your apartment, you had to dodge the damn super who had turned into a raging drunk and would sit on the stoop and harass you. So she's like, are we really going to act like uh, your first residence was so amazing? She was like, and let's not talk about when it eventually became overrun with rats in the walls, y'all. It was literally like... It just got out of hand. So yeah, I did forget about that. Thanks, mom. Then she was like, let's talk about your place in LA. She's like, sure, you loved it. However, your car got robbed twice, parked in the parking lot. The gated parking lot, your car got robbed twice. She was like, also, when you first moved there, you couldn't even stay there for a month because when you turn on the lights, it was infested with roaches and it had to get bombed and fumigated and you couldn't stay there. So she was like, no, if none of these places were just incredible the minute you got there, you had to create that. You had to take your time and you had to grow into them places and you had to decide how to make them yours. So you need to like do that with this place. And she was like, and lastly, the last place you were in, yeah, you love that house. We all love that house house, but you were paying a white man's mortgage in America. You, a sister. So she was like, no, that's just, no. So now you're not doing any of that. You're not going through any of that. And she was like, you have so many different aspects now. You have someone there to help you. You know, you have a partner. She was like, you have income. She was like, you know, you, and you also have experience in the world. So all of this is going to work out. And it will because you make everything work out. I was like, thanks, mom. Thank you. Next question. What are some indications, well aware it'll look different for everyone, that it was an appropriate time for you to buy a home as opposed to continuing to rent or what have you? And then she asks, how should one approach being cautious of pre-existing or gratuitous energies left in a home that is new to you and old to someone else? Ooh, those are two really good questions. I'll be quick. Well, the first one, to me, the indications are, do you have the bread? I mean, sometimes some things just come down to money. Like, do you have the bread to be able to not only buy a house, but to also keep a house? Um, do you have the time? Because it's another job. 
there's a whole bunch of shit that you got to do and deal with and handle. You know, like, for instance, we're in our house. We're physically in our house, but we're not going to be able to, like, really be comfortable and be living in this shit for, like, at least another six weeks. Because the pandemic, our furniture is, like, arriving whenever it arrives. And then we have work being done on the house. And so, you know, there's just, like, a certain level of discomfort that's taking place. Um, But we're able to manage it. And, you know, that's something I needed to know that I could do. And then I think, lastly, it's just, um, you know, an indicator is, do you know where you want to move to? Or are you done living where you're at? Like, because sometimes you're just like, if I live here another day, I will either kill myself or everyone. I will burn this whole shit down. Um, And a lot of times that can drive, that can drive, that can be the driving force to make you get your bread right. (laughs) That can be the driving force to make you find the time to manage things. And, you know, whatever the catalyst is for you, you know, you just make sure that you look at all of the pieces of the puzzle so that you just don't get caught out there. Your second question, though, about how you should approach being cautious of pre-existing gratuitous energies left in a home that is new to you and old to someone else is interesting because the seller of our house, like at one point she was really cool and then she like really wasn't. And it made us be like side eye because it was just like, I don't know where she's coming from. Um, and so I think in general, though, you got to you got to bundle and sage that shit like. You got to sage. I mean, we haven't done a full sage yet because we've had so many people working in the house that it kind of defeats the purpose. But once they're done working, this house will be fully blessed and saged in every room, in every corner. Trust and believe. Um, And I think that's the best. That's the only thing you can do is really just trust and believe that you can make a reset and that you can come in with your own energy and that the power of that energy will dispel and and root out anything that was there. And you can also do that outside of the house with how you communicate with your neighbors, if you have an HOA, like how you interact with them, et cetera. So, I, I mean, some people are like, I don't want to live in a house somebody else lived in. Some people are like, I don't want to wear clothes somebody else wore. But, you know, people will tell you, yeah, but you can just like wash them. So it's just what, works, you know, for you and what you're able to handle like financially. And I think we can safely say that prayer is free. So even if you can't afford some sage, you can afford to say some words. Next question. How do you deal with a realtor that don't see your vision? You fire them or you get another realtor. I did not know that you could have more than one realtor. I did not know this. I did not know you could have more than one realtor. So if you are selling your house, you can only have one realtor. But if you are buying, you can have as many realtors as you want. And different realtors are like specializers in different parts of town. So you have some realtors, you know, that are really like they know this side over here. But then there's other realtors that are really like well-versed over here. So that's like very something important to know because I did not know that. Um, And the reason I came to know that is because my realtor, uh, like I said, was referred from a friend and then out the blue uh, said, I would like to set aside 15 to 20 minutes for us to have a civil discussion about what's going on in the Middle East. 
As an American Jew for Israel, I would like to get away from the keyboard, I'm paraphrasing, but I'd like to get away from the keyboard gangster throwing negativities at each other type scenario and have like a civil conversation about the topic, knowing that I'm coming from a place of love and that we're not mixing business and politics. No! First of all, well, I wrote back and I said, honestly, I don't find that appropriate. First of all, by nature of you sending me this email, you're mixing business and politics. Point blank, period. Second of all, I don't talk to you about nothing other than houses. So why are you even bringing this up? Oh, because you follow me on Instagram and you see that I'm a supporter of Palestine. So really? Really? And that just made me uncomfortable. And I was trying to work through it and I was trying to just shake it off. But then a friend of mine was like, listen, you can have more than one realtor. And I was like, shut up. And they're like, yes. And they don't even need to know about each other. It's not even like it's like unethical. It may not even be, it's none of their business. Like you doing what you're doing to get your house. That's it. And whoever's the first one to bring you down that road, that's who gets the commission. I was like, yo. And I had been so loyal up until this point because when you go on Zillow or any of those sites and you see a house and you try and set up a, a viewing, they will connect you with a realtor. So if you already have a realtor, you have to tell that realtor about your listing and they have to find it themselves if you want to go see it with your realtor. Now, if you don't care, then you can just go through Zillow or go through Realtor.com or go through um, Redfin or whatever, and they will link you with a realtor that's, you know, bought into their system and or not bought in, but that's like uh, promoted by them. And that person will take you. But what that means that if you get the house, if you win the bid, that that person is the one getting the, getting the commission and the other person gets zilch. Someone else gave me some input and they were like, listen, you can't trust once a conversation like that has been broached that that person is going to be in your defense. You can't trust it. And they were so right. They were like, you know, they may have your best interest at heart, but subconscious is a very powerful thing. And when it comes down to fighting for you and really going to the mat for you, are they going to do it when they know that you don't share the same politics about something they take very, very personal? And I was like, but. So I was telling my partner about this. And he was like, well, you know, I know a realtor that I worked with when I was in real estate school. And um, he was like, you know, she's always answered my calls and she's really cool. So he put us on a group chat together. Now, here's the comedy. I was talking to her at the same time that I was talking to the other realtor, and I accidentally labeled her as the realtor's assistant. So she sent us a house to look at, and I thought it was the realtor's assistant, the other realtor's assistant that had sent us that house. So we're on our way to go to look at the house, and I'm thinking that this is going to be the realtor and his assistant. And Tavon's like, no, this is not that. This is Tanya. I'm like, wait, what? I wasn't even trying to be like, I mean, it wasn't shady, but I wasn't even trying to like be like go behind his back or be duplicitous. I really thought that they were showing me this house. And then I get to the house and it's Tanya. So I meet Tanya and Topanga Tanya and um, she shows us this house. And I'm not going to tell you I was in love with it immediately because I wasn't. I mean, I thought it was nice, but there were just certain things that seemed impractical to me. And... Then I walked around and 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 I walked around. And then the listing agent was like, you know, you guys can come back tonight if you want so you can see the house at night. 
And if someone extends themselves like that, take the opportunity because the listing agent is the one who's selling the house for the seller. And they are going to have to be the ones who are going to advocate for you on top of your buyer. I mean, on top of your realtor. Okay. Now there's situations that happen all the time where the listing agent is really like working in the best interest of the actual buyer for a myriad of reasons, right? Maybe they dislike the buyer. Maybe they dislike the seller, you know, but whatever the case, like don't think that you can't forge that relationship either because it it can be very helpful. We got this house because our listing agent believed in us and believed that this house was supposed to be for us. Hands down. In addition to the fact that I had a really great realtor who has been doing this for like 20 fucking years and knows all the ins and outs and all the ropes and really helped walk us through. And you want a realtor who's going to be thinking ahead. You want a realtor who's like, okay, in three days, they can serve us with a demand to perform. And a demand to perform means that you have to like take away a contingency. And so I'm just going to lay this out real quick. When you start to buy a house, they're going to put an earnest payment in escrow. Escrow is basically like, I call it like base. When you're playing it, it's like the safe space between you and the seller. And so the escrow is where your money will go and they're holding your money so that during this process, the buyer can trust that you had the money. And as the seller, you can trust that this money isn't going to run away. Your earnest payment is 9% of what your, is it 6% or 9%? It's one of the two. I can't remember. Don't quote me on that. But it's 6 or 9% of whatever the actual cost of the home is going to be. So that's not your down payment. It is the percentage of the home. Or is it the percentage of your down payment? You know what? Hold on. Let me just Google this real quick. It looks like the deposit can be different no matter, like, depending on where you are. But the whole point of it being called an earnest payment is that you're showing in earnest that I am planning on buying this home. It's, that's what it is. So that goes into escrow. And then you have basically a certain amount of days of escrow. So sometimes it can be as short as 30-day escrow. Sometimes you can have a 60-day escrow. And what that means is that you have that amount of time to accomplish a number of things. And those number of things will be contingencies. So you'll have like an uh, inspection contingency. You'll have a loan contingency. You'll have an appraisal contingency. And contingency means that like these are benchmarks to where you can back out. So for instance, your inspection contingency, let's say you have 10 days for your inspection contingency. That means that you have to get all of your inspections done in the house in those 10 days. And from that point, then you can say, based on these inspections, we want this from you. So it might be a credit. It might be that they need to fix something. Or it might be like, you know what? There's just too much wrong with this house. I'm out. I'm out. I back out. Now, once you remove a contingency, it means that you can no longer use that as a reason to back out. So once you remove your inspection contingencies, that conversation is done. You can't come back and be like, okay, well, actually, nope, you removed your contingency. It's done. Then you have the appraisal contingency and so forth. And so the last one is your loan contingency. And you don't want to remove your loan contingency until you are completely sure that your loan is going to happen. Because once you remove it, it means all of your contingencies are removed and your earnest payment is no longer safe. Your earnest payment can now be released to the buyer. 
So you have to like have a realtor who is on top of these deadlines, who's on top of the needs of these deadlines. I will tell you that when I saw this house and we decided to put a bid on it, uh, my realtor was already setting up inspectors to come. And you're going to have a main inspector, but then that main inspector might see stuff and say, well, you need to have a specific inspector come and see this. So the main inspector will do the whole house, but then he might say like, but I recommend that you have a pool person come, you have a sewer person come, you have an AC person come, a roofer come, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it depends on the size of the property. It depends on how much is going on in the property. It depends on how new the property is. It depends on where it is, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of et ceteras, y'all. But I bring this all the way back to... The realtor that doesn't see your vision is somebody that doesn't not just see your vision in terms of like the home that you want, but it's also in terms of do they see your vision in terms of what you want as a partner in this process? Because that's really what they are. It's It's not not just just a transaction. transaction. Remember, this is where you're going to live. It's a big fucking deal. And you want to work with somebody that not only sees the vision of where you want to live, but sees the vision of how you want to get there. You know, they respect your process. They respect, you know, okay, I need you to text me when you send me stuff that's urgent because if you send it in an email, I'm not going to get it. You know, they respect that you don't want to have conversations about politics. You know, they respect that, you know, you and your partner, you communicate this way. So let's put us all in a group text, whatever. But I will tell you that I ended up telling my former realtor, like, you know, uh, I did find a house that I'm putting a bid on and he was like, oh. And um, I was like, but if this, if we don't get our bid accepted, then, uh, you know, we can talk about the next steps. And he was like, yeah, I'd have to really think about that. And I caught myself and I said, now, why are you giving this man all this power? And I said, you know what? Don't even think about anything. It's fine. And for the record, I was very loyal to you until you asked me that ridiculous question. He was like, well, I don't understand why it was ridiculous. I mean, why is it, why can't two humans have that discussion? Well, one, because these two humans are in a professional capacity buying a house. And unless our working together is contingent upon the outcome of this discussion, it has no place. And two, I was like, tell me this. Do you believe there's an occupation in Palestine? And he was like, well, you know, I have my own beliefs. And I was like, it's a yes or no question. And he was like, well, I believe that Hezbollah. And I was like, okay, so we've already gotten to the bottom of this anyway. I need to get off the phone. (laughs) Because at the end of the day, it became flipped on him. Because ultimately, I don't want to give my money to a Zionist. I have so many incredible Jewish people that are a part of my circle, that are a part of my life that also are sharing the same ethics and morality that I do around Palestine. And I just didn't feel comfortable in that moment with continuing to move forward with him, even if we didn't win the bid on the house. But guess what? We got the bid. And when I say that, I will explain what getting the bid on the house is in that one time. Last question. Should you wipe out your whole savings for the down payment or only buy when you can afford a down payment and to also having three months of expenses saved? You already know the answer to that. You should, I'd be like, no, don't wipe out your whole savings for the down payment. No, because you're still going to have to do things for the house. That's what people don't understand. Like you get in the house and then you have to do shit. And I don't even mean like remodel. Like you got to clean the house. You may have to buy new stuff, you know, because your old stuff is like red tat tattered you know, then there's surprises that happen, right? Like you can have a situation where like, yeah, the air conditioner was working 
and now you moved in and you find out that actually they had just done some tripwire shit and hotwired it like a car on New Jersey Drive and now your shit ain't working because it's tripping the breaker. So you have to have reserves. If you, I mean, you have to have reserves. And if you don't, then maybe it's like look at a smaller property or look at a property in a different neighborhood. But you don't want to be house poor. You don't want to be house broke. You don't want to be living in a house that you can't enjoy living in because you're so fucking stressed about how to live in it. In which case, it might be best to rent in the meantime. And I know some people will say, don't say that. That's throwing money away. That's throwing money away. But I don't believe that it's throwing money away if it elevates your situation in terms of like your peace of mind. I could not stay in an apartment anymore. I was not ready to buy a house. Renting was better. I don't, even though my mom is like, you're not paying a white man's mortgage anymore. She's true. It's true. But I'm glad that I got the opportunity and I'm glad that I lived in that home because I had so many beautiful moments in that home, including hosting the BET Awards. And also it got me to a space of peace that I needed to be to enhance my finances and to be in a better place as a professional and to heal, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know that I would have been able to do that in the apartment that I was in before. So, you know, money, money like operates in, in, in different spaces when you apply it to the ways in which it affects your happiness beyond simply just having. Okay, actually, we did have one more question. Did you feel an amended pressure to buy a home? So happy to hear of your home purchase as we have done the same recently in San Antonio. Congrats. I asked because I feel like after being through the process, I would never pressure friends or family to buy unless they, one, are prepared financially and or two, I knew I could help them with a down payment. It took some serious preparation for us to buy a home on one income during a pie pizzeria, (laughs) a pie pizzeria, a pandemic. Um, I feel you. And that goes along with our previous question. I mean, any pressure I had to buy a home for the most part was me putting it on myself. But I will tell you that there was definitely like some side eyes that people would give me when I would say that I'm renting. Like they would just be like, why are you doing that? Oh my gosh. Like, why are you renting? And it would be like, I'd have to stop myself from being like, bitch, don't fucking question my, you know what I'm saying? Because people don't know your situation. You know, they don't know what you're doing. They just see like the, 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 you know, it's just like the, the, America of it all to be able to say that you own a home like that has a certain cachet about it but if you don't have the cash about it then fuck the cachet don't mean shit the script for today's script I would say the best thing to do is to first just start by talking to people who have bought a home Like who have bought the kind of home that you're buying. If you're buying a house, speak to people you know that have bought a house. If you're buying a condo, speak to people you know that have bought a condo. And it doesn't even necessarily matter all the time if it was recently or if it was like in 1945. The process may have changed, but ultimately the thing about having a house is it's yours and you're going to have to be responsible for shit. And that hasn't really changed (laughs) at all. So that's one thing I would say to do. Second, I would say watch these HGTV shows. They really teach you about what to look for in terms of buying a property. You don't be knowing that you need to look at things besides just the foundation. You need to look at things besides just the year the home was made or just termites. You need to look at things like 
Again, air conditioner. How is the air conditioner system constructed? And you may not have time to do this because of the escrow, but if you have time, you want to get somebody in there to take a look at like, do these air conditioners operate properly? Not just do they turn on? No. Do the actual air conditioner systems operate the way they're supposed to? And just turning on doesn't mean that they operate the way they're supposed to. You want to watch these shows because they also point out things like property values and, and neighborhoods, and they let you in on things that you didn't even think of in terms of things that you can change about a home. You know, Natasha on Insecure, uh, Natasha would tell me all the time, you can change everything about a home except for where it is. So it's not always about shopping for the exact home you want, but the neighborhood that you want. Because you can, you can change things about a home. They'll just bring in a steel beam and, you know, they'll make shit work, but you can't lift up that home and move it. Like that house that I wanted on Las Virgenes, it don't matter how much I love that house, it, where it was located, wasn't ever going to work. And I had to like get over that. And that house was haunting me, y'all haunting me. So that's my other thing for the script is making sure that you check out these shows and learn from not just like watching the the mystical magic of like, oh, look what we did, but paying attention to how they're doing what they did. And the same goes for interior magazines. Let me tell you about interior decorating magazines. They don't just show you shit. Like fashion magazines will really just like show you these outfits. And I mean, they may have resources in the back, but it's really just about showing you these outfits. No, these interior magazines, particularly House and Beautiful, will show you this is what they did. This is how they did it. Take a look at it. Here's the cheap version. Here's the medium version. Here's the expensive version. And in the back, here is where they got every single piece of hardware in this picture. That stuff right there is priceless because you have such an expanse once you get into this home living lifestyle shit of information that you just can get very, very overwhelmed. So to be able to go directly to a source is like super duper helpful. And lastly, I would say shop around. I think that there's a, well, not just shop around, but like shop around, not in just terms of like, you know, interest rates and and lenders and realtors, but also in terms of like podcasts and information sources about these types of things and open yourself to, to listening and learning like shit that may feel uncomfortable for you. I know particularly within the black community, a lot of us can feel uncomfortable when it comes to talking about finance, particularly with strangers. It can feel uncomfortable to talk about like, you know, our goals and our, our, our processes and what we want, but you're going to have to open up because to get the information you want, a lot of times you're going to have to share where you're at. You're going to have to share what you're, what you're about to do and what you've been doing. And you're going to have to like also, uh, open up your mind to receiving like information about finances and stuff that may be uncomfortable because you may not be a finance math person, but it also might be uncomfortable because it's like telling you truths about your scenario. All the, all these things though, all are rooted in letting yourself be a vessel of knowledge. Because I will tell you this, in buying a home, I had to learn a whole new world, a whole new world. And renting, you don't get that world. I learned words. I've I've never used the word escrow. I never used the word earnest payment. I never used the word lender and, and, um, what else? Title and um, 
you know, we're in loan doc, we're in the loan docs phase. Okay. We're in the conditionally approved phase. Like I'm talking to inspectors about termites. I'm having to learn about termites. I'm having to learn about HVAC. I'm having to learn about tile, you know, and all of these things. I, I tell you that part of me is like, Oh, it's too much. But the other part of me is like, this is yours. So you have to just like be excited about this. And it's the same advice I tell people in college. Like, don't just lean on an advisor. Don't just lean on your realtor. They got a bunch of other clients. All you got is you. So it may be daunting in the beginning, but listen to what they're saying. And and let, let me also add, that's another thing to look for in a realtor. Someone who's going to be patient in explaining things to you. I fucking love my realtor because she would say things to me like we were on Sesame Street and I never felt condescended to. But she would just make it so, this is what an underwriter does. This is what the, she would just make it so clear. And then she would go through every single document with me with a fine tooth comb. Because let me tell you, sometimes the shit that you need to see is in paragraph three. And doing that and being patient and making time for that is so important. And it also just as a buyer helps to put you at ease through this very, very stressful and no, and unnecessarily tense process. Same with your insurance agent. You're going to have to get insurance for the house. You're going to need an insurance agent who's going to walk you through your fucking policy and explain to you what each thing in that policy is because that shit doesn't, you don't, you're, when is the, you don't know any of this shit. <laughs> like, so much of it, if you haven't had the language of it, and many of us as black Americans and, and children of immigrants haven't necessarily had access to property ownership in a way where the language is like commonplace for us. So it feels like gibberish. So be patient with yourself, but also know that like, you're going to have to step the fuck up if you really want to make sure that you are doing the best for yourself. You're going to have to step up and you're going to have to let your mind go to a genius space. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have to get on these shows and get, listen to these shows and watch these shows and engorge yourself with the knowledge. It's It's going to be worth it though. I haven't said the word sconce ever in my life. And I said sconce like seven times in one day. That That one one time. time. (laughs) So for that one time, I want to talk about just the process of deciding we want the house to then getting the house. So when you decide you want a house, and I'm not sure how it works anywhere else, but in LA, you put in a bid. So let's say the house is worth $150,000. You, let's say that house has been on the market only for a weekend. Your best bet is probably to just give the asking or something very below asking. Now, if it's been on the market for a while, you can be sure that there's a reason why it's been on the market for a while. So it may not be necessary for you to go all the way to 150000 So let's just say that this is a weekend. So for us, we went to see our house. It had been up for a day. It's Memorial Day weekend. And when we went to see the house, there were other people there seeing the house. So that lets you know that there's interest in this house. So my realtor was like, I think we should meet them very, very close to asking. Okay. Side note. When you start looking for a house, you're going to have what your benchmark is for like cost. And then you'll talk to a lender and you'll get pre-approved for that cost. Now, things change. You might see a house that's 
more expensive than that. The second that you start looking at houses that are higher than that cost, you should go to your lender to get pre-approved, okay? Because once you decide to put a bid in, they're going to want a pre-approval letter. And if you are on a weekend, you may not be able to get it, and then you may get the house pulled right out from under you. The other thing I want you to know that I did not know is that the lender who gives you the pre-approval letter doesn't necessarily have to be the lender that you go with to get your actual loan. Now, of course, if time is of the essence, you may not have a choice, but if it isn't, you may have the option, you may have the time to look around and try to talk to some different people about their process and about how they work and, you know, who they work with and what interest rate they can get you. And they might be able to do a better job than the person who got you the pre-approval letter. So you do all of that and you're going to have to send it in. You're going to send in your bid. You're going to send in your pre-approval letter. And you probably will end up having to send in like three months of documents. So that'll be like three months of your bank statements. And if you have paychecks, that too. Now, if the seller outright, if you had like the highest bid, oftentimes the seller will just outright be like, okay, it's going to you. However, in my situation, it's a little different. My listing agent, the one who was selling the house for the seller, she just really liked us. So she told our realtor, she was like, you know, they didn't have the highest bid, but I really want them to get this house. And so my realtor was like, okay, we're going to come up on our bid because there was a higher bid there. So we're going to come up on our bid. So I came up on my bid, but I also wrote a letter. So there's a thing where you can write a letter to somebody, you know, basically just telling them exactly why you want their house, <laughs> why you should have their house. And some people might say it doesn't work, mm, but I don't agree. For us, the letter is what did it. And I wrote a very heartfelt letter and uh, Natasha actually proofed it and helped me just get it right. And, um, that letter we were told was the reason why we were able to win the bid on our house, even though we didn't have the highest bid it's because it's not always about money and don't let people make you think it is. Some people don't want to sell their house to just anybody. Investors don't give a fuck, right? If an investor came in and flipped a house nine times out of 10, they're just like, whoever's going to give us the most for it, fine. Because they're just thinking in a transactional way. But a home that people like lived in, they grew up in, or that they like put a lot into, or they have some type of sentimental attachment to, people are funny about that. They don't necessarily just want to give that shit away to any, to just anybody. You know, they feel like they put a lot, they got a lot out of that. They want to pass it on. So that's what happened with us. And I tell you, <laughs> that was the only easy part of this process. But everyone told me, Amanda, you're not going to win the bid on your first house. Nobody ever wins the bid on their first house, ever, ever. No one ever wins the bid on the house. And this was the first house that I put a bid in on. And so I asked, well, why did you end up putting a bid on this house? And ultimately, one, it met a lot of the needs that both me and Devon wanted. But also, it was the only house we looked at where the house actually looked better than the pictures. It was beautiful. And in ways that had just not been relayed in the pictures. 
And I think that really kind of just surprised the surprise of it all ended up driving it home. And now this is where I drive home to. The last dose. I just feel like I'm sure I left something out in this episode. And I hope I didn't. I hope I gave y'all just the full gauge of information I could because there's just so much. And I feel like I'm going to like remember more. But I really want y'all to know that homeownership is possible. There are so many different levels of it. I can tell you that I'm very proud of myself for finally taking this leap. It was something that I'm not, I wasn't apprehensive of once I made it, once I made the leap, but I will tell you that for years I was apprehensive about this, which is why I didn't do it. Um, But I want to also tell you that it's the team that's around you that's going to help make this process happen. You know, my realtor, my lender, my accountant, my partner, everybody was involved in really pushing this over the line. You know, my mom giving insight on stuff that she knows about, my aunt my aunt's husband, like, you know, people just giving me insight and you take it, you take it as it come and you leave it as it come. I'm not saying you got to take everything in, but it, the tribe comes together to help you build your hut. That's what it is. And you got to be watchful about who's going to stay involved. And it's really going to be based on who's giving you honest information. Don't keep people around. that just telling you what you want to hear. They're not going to be helpful because when the shit hits the fan and the escrow doesn't close and the buyer pulls out, those niceties they were saying to you aren't going to matter. I am still in the very early phases of this home and it is overwhelming at times because it's so much, like I've talked about, so much to learn and to know. At the same time, it feels like a rite of passage for me as not just an adult, but also as a creative, like, and as like somebody who really believes in independence and ownership. And it feels like, um, it feels like the final step in like showing my mom that she did a really good job. (laughs) Like, You know, I just know that for my mom, like me being in a secure space with not just like my friends and, you know, my, my partner, but also my prop, like, like in a home, I know that has really mattered to her. And so being able to achieve that and accomplish that in like a, in, in a tangible, actual way, I know has put her at ease once and for all in knowing that like, she did it. And let's remember, I paid off her house before I bought me my own house. So always put them first. Starbanks Avenue, a podcast, <clears throat> a podcast network.